the journey of Rap Radar is like its own, you know, its own book. And, and shout out to Paul Rosenberg, because Paul Rosenberg is my partner still to this day with Rap Radar. And he came up with the name Rap Radar. I didn't like the name at first. I was trying to come up with all these different names, and I couldn't come up with shit. And then I, I just, one day it just hit me that I, I like Rap Radar, because Rap Radar sounded authoritative. It sounded like something that already existed. So I, my whole thing was I just have to start saying it with confidence. Rap Radar, Rap Radar, Rap Radar, like Rap Radar. From Central Sauce and the Fifth Element Podcast Network, this is In Search of Sauce, a celebration of the writers saving music journalism from death by clickbait. How we doing, everyone? Welcome again to the podcast. My name is Mickey Hellerback. I am a writer for Central Sauce. Um, I encourage everyone to check out, actually, two interviews that I did for another publication called Notion Magazine, uh, just because they dropped really recently. One is with Tyler Yahweh, and the other is with Laven Kali, who are both uh, really great up-and-coming slash have been slightly established artists. Um, I just think we get into some kind of cool perspectives. Uh, and then also watch out for uh, my next Why We Like It piece for Central Sauce, um, featuring a single for the three-piece from Brisbane, uh, Pink Matter. Uh, we also have Ryan Gore. Yep, Ryan Gore, writer for Central Source, and uh, I have stuff to promote, but I want to dedicate this episode to Chadwick Boseman, whose passing affected me a lot as a massive Marvel fan and just as a lover of film. So, um, yeah, he's going to be missed deeply. R.I.P. Yeah, absolutely. And also Brandon Hill. Yeah, uh, Brandon Hill, uh, writer and editor with Central Source, also feeling the tragic loss of Chadwick Boseman. Um, Feel free to check out coming out on Central Sauce soon. I have an interview with Chris Patrick, whose song Swish landed on the soundtrack for NBA 2K21. Uh, so if you've been playing the game and you hear that song, you want to learn more about Chris Patrick, check out my interview on Central Sauce. Yeah, um, I think I, I definitely want to add in just a quick word also about Chadwick Boseman um, and kind of uh, his impact on on me with his art specifically. And I just want to encourage everyone, if you haven't seen it to watch the film, get on up. Um, because I think it really, uh, as a, a piece of art highlights really what Chadwick Boseman truly had to offer as a master of his craft. Um, and I think it's a, a film that really got put under the radar as far as kind of biopics go. And his very, very nuanced portrayal of James Brown is, is, um, yeah, it's just an, a really incredible, um, piece of art to to witness to to see really all that he gave um as something aside from something that had such cultural impact as a black pan as a black panther did um so yeah i encourage everyone to check that out on today's episode of in search of sauce we are conducting our second journalist interview during our regular program we bring pieces we admire to share our thoughts on but today we are getting sauce directly from the source we are incredibly hyped to introduce the co-creator of Ego Trip, former music editor of The Source and editor-in-chief of XXL, creator of the YN Alter Ego, co-founder of the seminal rap blog Rap Radar, host slash co-host of three video podcasts now on title, where he is the head of content, Rap Radar podcast, Car Test and Crown, Instagram update wizard, and co-creator of the new newsletter The Motto on Substack. 
We should also mention he's been named one of the 25 funniest people in America by Entertainment Weekly, top 20 music industry innovators by The Hollywood Reporter, and one of MTV's six hip-hop culture MVPs. Safe to say, this guy has had a journey in the industry of consistent reinvention and elevation. And lastly, and most importantly, he is, without a doubt, one of, if not my overall music journalism goats. Everyone, please welcome Elliot Wilson. Elliot. Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang. Uh, it's like a Wu-Tang chop. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's literally Yo said so, the same thing. Definitely. Serious. Like, yo, God, yo, yo, God, keep that in. Keep that in, God. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. So, um, yeah, Elliot, thanks for thanks for talking to us, man. Again, oh, I know we said it pre, pre on air, but I definitely want to say that again. Um, I, I, I first wanted to open with um, why doing this interview is kind of like a feels like a full circle moment to me and i kind of i talked to you about it when we had the phone conversation um but my my cousin shout out matt hoffman um introed me to to the blog like the blogs in the blog era right around the time when like the drought three lil wayne dropped and like exhibit a by j electronica yeah yeah and um the thing that really got me to doing you know being where i am today and doing what i'm doing was initially starting to really sort of fall in love with music discovery through those rap blogs so not nah right rap radar and two dope boys so it just feels like a very full circle moment man to to be talking to you thank you man i appreciate that man yeah the rap radar you know the the fact that you know rap radar is like its own legacy its own chapter in my career you know it means a lot man you know that biggest challenge with that was like after xxl everyone's like well you know that's it for you buddy like you know you reach the top of the mountain like you know it's, it's time for you to go off and do something different and not really necessarily be in the uh daily hip-hop conversation per se and i, I kind of did the exact opposite uh by doing by doing the blog and you know and at first it was it was a tough road man because you know there were a lot, not right, two dope boys, like a lot of amazing blogs out there to kind of break in was tough. And I wasn't necessarily, you know, <laughs> we're all friends now, but I wasn't completely embraced. Uh, you know, it was kind of the feeling of like, here's established magazine guy coming to our playground. Uh, but I think that, you know, with BDOT, amazing work, you know, he's with me from day one, Brian Miller. Um, we proved that we belonged and we carved out our own lane and what we did was distinctive. And then now it's, morphed into this podcast and, you know, and us showing that, you know, two journalists together can conduct an interview and get great results. And we develop great chemistry and and we have these like classic interviews now that have really impacted people. So the journey of Rap Radar is like its own, you know, its own book. And, and shout out to Paul Rosenberg, because Paul Rosenberg is my partner still to this day with Rap Radar. And he came up with the name Rap Radar. I didn't like the name at first. I was trying to come up with all these different <laughs> names and I couldn't come up with shit. And then uh, I just one day it just hit me that I, I like Rap Radar because Rap Radar sounded authoritative. It sounded like something that already existed. So I, I, my whole thing was I just have to start saying it with confidence. Rap Radar, Rap Radar, Rap Radar. Like, Rap Radar. Like, like you know what I mean? And then, like, it just like, so I think that one thing we did well was that, you know, pretty much from 09 when we started, by you get to 2010, 2011, at the height of this whole blog thing, and, you know, we, we were really in the mix with everybody. You know, and I think that we had covered a lot and a lot of short ground. But yeah, shout out to Paul for for Rap Radar. We would stay up real late. This is like got to tap into like Paul's like nerdy hip hop side of like, you know, because 
I mean, obviously, managing Eminem, he's, he rapped himself back in the day. We would just be, like, trying to find, like, Lord Finesse lyrics to come up with or, like, things, you know, whatever we were going to call it and, like, you know, check the technique and shit like that. Like, come, trying to come up with different names and then it just finally, we, yeah. he, didn't, he couldn't believe that Rap Radar hadn't been taken as a, as a URL, as, as a thing. So, business-wise, it made a lot of sense. And then once he made the logo, because he helped find the people to design the logo, the same logo we use to this day. We was just off and running. That's crazy, man. Uh, I, I wanted to ask Ryan, this Ryan, you quiet. Later, What's up, Ryan? Afternoon. What's up, baby? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm being targeted, man. This is... Oh, yeah. Go, Ryan. Ryan, thought no. I, Ryan thought I sold out after Ego Trip, man. What's up, Ryan? Let's talk. Uh, <laughs> Let's we were, were wondering if you hold... No. He's a genius, but he's an industry. Uh. <laughs> Yo, Ryan, Ryan is our, uh, our, uh, our uh, you know... Our go-to underground, underground of the underground. Hey man, all my underground guy, guys, all my New York underground guys, man, they all became the biggest guys, man. Like people forget, Biggie yeah, was man. underground, yeah. Nas was underground, Jay Z was yeah. underground. Like the, the underground oh, New York that, boys. All hip hop was all underground. Yeah, right? you know. And I, you yeah, know, I used yeah. to do. I used to do a column. I think you mentioned it, Ron. I did a column with um. I mean, you mentioned Company Flow. I think I heard you with the uh, mm-hmm. thing. It was like yeah, yeah, that yeah. was a big deal with the source of like. For sure. It got to the point. The era when I was music editor from 96 to 98, you know, Puffy blew up in 97 and it's like, this is the big massive commercial thing. And it's like, you have, you know, Raucous, those guys, I knew Jared, the owner very well. And like, I, I fought to get like this column that sort of gave light, you know, because obviously the inventory in the back of the book was with the big major record releases, you know, and I wanted to make sure with that, that I balanced out like East Coast, West Coast, South, rap a lot, everything. But I fought to have this independent column, and we were so cheesy, we called it, like, Independence Day. And in that, I'd be writing about, like, Choclair records and fucking, you know, Street Smarts yeah. and, like, everything. And even Co-Flow Co- Co- in the beginning. But I was, I was yeah. so proud of having that column that I was able to, like, have this independent thing in the, you know, hip-hop Bible and, like, give, give those artists their light. And that was, like, reviewing people's 12 inches and shit. Yeah, man, that's always been my thing. It's like balance and being able to balance like your co-flow stuff with your Jay-Z's like in the same breath. That's yeah. what it's all about. And that's the thing that's what we're lacking now. And that's the Yo, thing that's you, what rap You know what's wild is uh, that I made a discovery of the last thing I thought, but Ryan is like a wildly big Playboy Cardi fan though too. So <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. There's always that one guy that touches the underground guy's backpack, sneaks into the backpack, sneaks into the rotation. <laughs> <laughs> you already know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Elliot, I wanted to talk about the, the blog era also specifically because you did kind of an ill thing when we were prepping for the interview is you did kind of what we do on the podcast when we're not interviewing people anyway which is you decided to to bring an article um to the podcast which is um it's entitled it's on medium the black internet gold rush that wiped away 75 million in 18 months and it's by and it's by Aaliyah king and i think that that really um hones in on that period that goes in between the the magazine kind of publication era and then um what what goes into the internet era so I wanted to offer you really the opportunity to do a little bit of what we do on the podcast, which is really intro the piece, say what you um, were moved by, by how the writer navigated the piece itself, and then talk about how it connected to you. Understood. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Jermaine Hall, who uh, is a very gifted editor, uh, worked at The Source, is interned at Vibe back in the day, and then I helped bring him over to Double XL as a contributing editor during that thing. He actually wrote, I forgot, he wrote the cover story of the infamous Nas burning all the magazines. Uh, Jermaine Hall wrote that cover story. Uh, so Jermaine's incredible, and then he went over to, to King Magazine, 
and him and Daytuan Thomas kind of built King Magazine. Um, so now he runs Level Mag, which is um, Drew Medium, and it runs this thing. He's got all these great writers, and Bonsu Thompson, who used to be my music editor at XXL. Uh, David Dennis, from the uh, smoking section, is now a contributor over there. So And Aaliyah King, she's an amazing writer. So I saw that piece, and it just reminded me that a lot of times when people tell the um, story of me going to Double XL, and obviously I had this vendetta against the source, and a lot of people know that angle of it, but I think that... What gets lost in is what the state of the business was at that time. So, 99 was kind of this turning point where it's like, I always say, like, when Biggie and Pac died, the industry thought we were going to crumble. Like, we were going to go back to being, like, low underground and that we wouldn't have mainstream success. But, in fact, hip-hop got bigger. Puff made the I'll Be Missing You, and then you get Master P, and you get DMX, and all of a sudden, cash money, bling, bling, and now hip-hop's making, like, the first real, like, cash wave, like, really huge national cash wave um, and the source grew from that and everybody grew from that but with that money though people started to try to look at the internet and make that jump which eventually would happen to the to, to online so Russell started that 360 thing and he hired um, Selwyn Hines who was my boss who was editor-in-chief at the source when I was there he hired me at the source and when I took over XXL in 1999 September 1999 some people thought I was crazy like why are you going to print prints about to die we're going online. This is 99. And there's so much money to be spent. And I think in that article, Daytuan talked about how, um, you know, he's making, they offered him triple what he was already making, you know, at XXL. And that he has some, and I, I remember I hit him up after the article because I was very moved that he had said something, you know, very kindly that he had some second thoughts about maybe he should stay because he had, a, he knew I was coming with a lot of energy and I had a lot of ideas. I remember he came by the office you know, it was kind of this real, um, like real monumental kind of you know, emotional moment of like, so Daytuan was running XXL uh, with Scoop Jackson and these other people, and then Daytuan um, was at the that Rockefeller shoot. The the famous so many damn stories. That Rockefeller shoot with, with the big ass jeans, Jay Z with the big ass jeans, and Biggs and Dame and Emil, right? Is Emil's on the cover yet? I wrote that story. That was the XXL first thing I did for XXL. I wrote the story. I couldn't. I interviewed mostly Dame Dash because back then everything had to go through Dame. Uh, I interviewed Jay Z for a phone or for Rolling Stone. So I used some of my Jay Z quotes from that into the XXL article. I couldn't get Jay Z to do the interview for the XXL piece. So I mostly interviewed Dame and Biggs and everybody on staff. So that issue was the issue. I was, I had wrote the cover story, but I wasn't on staff yet. So at that shoot, I came at the end and missed the shoot, but I ran into Daytuan. Uh, no, actually, I did the interview with the shoot. So I went to the shoot, and Daytuan was there, and Daytuan was telling me about the opportunity he was having to go over to uh, that company, and um, was kind of passing me the torch in a sense. You know what I mean? Like, and, uh, like you know that I was going to take it over. And then when I came take over Double XL, um, I had DMX for my first cover. I had that kind of planned out, and I remember Daytuan and Black Spot. These two writers came by, and Daytuan like I was explaining to him my ideas and showing him I had DMX on the cover, and they was. I brought him the first issue and he was looking at it. And I was just like, you know, the thing was is that print, it was a question about print. I mean, the source was dominant, but people were attracted to this idea of online. We just, it just was ahead of its time. So a lot of times, but then I also felt like my ego was a little bruised because I wasn't really being offered the online big job. You know, people realized that my profile wasn't out there the way it is now, right? People didn't really know what I looked like. I did very thing like understated. I just let the work speak for itself. So it was a big deal for somebody to give me the wheels to say, you could be an editor-in-chief. You know, you could take over this magazine. So 
Yeah, so the main thing is when I first started with XXL, a lot of my peers, my wife Danielle, she moved on. She wasn't running Vibe anymore. Like a lot of my peers had left hip-hop print journalism. The source was driving uh, huge numbers that I helped be a part of from that transition going into the early 2000s. So really I was competing with a whole new landscape. And in the backdrop was like a lot of people making money on this internet thing. And then that ended up not working. And then I think a lot of that brought the energy back to print which kind of pushed that, that final great wave of print, probably like 02 to 06, 07, you know? Yeah, it seemed like a lot of the money, like a lot of the funding that was pushed in that like inflated that bubble sort of created like a really hyper-competitive environment between people that sort of allowed, um, you know, there's that quote from Serena Kim in the story um, that says it was the first time hip-hop journalism actually was the story when referring to Urban ex- Exposé. So do you think that boom and eventual burst combined with like Urban Exposé is part of the reason there seem to be a lot of celebrity journalists or personality journalists in hip hop journalism? Because like you said, like before that, you know, your face wasn't out there and your image and personality as much. Um, so do you think okay. that like... Well, first two things. I think the competitive part was that's really how the business was done back then. I always say... There's a different world we're in right now. To be ultra alpha, mega, competitive, I'm going to bury you, fuck you, I'm taking your spot. Like That's not a way to move in 2020. It's not, it's not an effective strategy. But back then, it was, very, it was very much like you have this spot, you know, I want that spot. And you would be aggressive and you would go for it and you would compete. But no, I, think that, I don't think the whole, I think social media fueled the people coming out and the faces, the face to everything. And I think I... I was at the forefront of that because I used social media to be my avenue to promote Rap Radar because I wasn't getting that embracement in the blog community. They wasn't linking back linking back to me a lot. So <laughs> I started going on Twitter. And my wife told me about Twitter and then Instagram. So I started utilizing that and started front-facing, you know, more so when Crown happened. You know, that was the beginning of me being on camera and being comfortable. But I feel like a lot of the branding and people put, feel like they have to be on now is the way... Content is consumed now that people want, expect to see it on video. And with video, gives you exposure and what everybody looks like. So the biggest thing is like, it's like an inverse of the old days. Because in the old days, it was like, you're this cool writer. They would all, everybody was yo from DJ Booth. You don't know what this kid looks like. Uh, he has incredible power in what he writes. He shitted on my record. I'm in the club trying to find him. Who knows what he looks like? I want to beat him up. Like, you know what I'm saying? So nobody knew what nobody looked like. Now it's like everybody besides yo, we know who they look like. So there's, there's way more accountability than it was back then in terms of the facing. Who knew who was who? <laughs> yeah, that's that's so interesting. Um, I, I wanted to bring in another another quote from the piece, um, which is that she says in the intro, which is when it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And I was just wondering if you, within the scope of your entire career, have encountered that kind of conundrum ever happening. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no perfect situation. And I think the biggest thing is when I look back on like XXL, for example, I started to start, I have to be honest with myself and start to feel like I felt like I was peaking. Um, I felt like, you know, I, I took a lot of joy in like, I mean, to take it back, you know, my mentality, like you go into the situation and it's, it's, a, it's a clear narrative to, to present to your team and to people that believe in you. It's, it's, the, it's the underdog to champion, right? Like, they're all the way up here in the mountain. If we work really hard, guys, and we bust ass, we're going to get up there. 
We're going to chop their head off. We're going to rain on top. So you do that, and that's a long... I thought that journey would take me a, a couple years. It took me like five years, five to probably six years. Um, so then, you know, I always say that, you know, everyone loves the Buster Douglas moment of like somebody wins. Somebody, you know, has a glorious upset, glorious moment. Uh, but then the, the challenge comes in, how do you defend the championship? Now, now I got what I wanted, right? The XXL's looked at as the number one magazine. You know, how do you defend that? How do you stay fresh? How do you keep, how do you reign? You know, the reign, R-E-I-G-N, right? Reign. So now, like, being a champion is everyone combined to, but not everybody's comfortable with reigning, you know, especially in that era. And um, I, reigned for, I reigned well, and then we did different innovative things like, you know, XXLMag.com, and we brought SK from Not Right over there. We tried to build, I tried to build a website component of it. But, you know, looking back on it, I didn't go as hard as I should have probably with that. Like, Complex Noah did a great job. Noah Callahan Bever did a great job of merging both staffs. And Complex was at the forefront of, you know, what we used to do back then was we would put the lesser riders on the web team and the more qualified, experienced people on the print product. And Noah and Complex with the Pritchard Nutella's leadership was like, no, you're doing double duty. You know, we're putting our eight levels. Jola Puma in Jola Puma before he became, you know, the sneaker shopping host kingpin that he is. You know, he had a very sharp social media strategy, and they did those lists and they, like merged it that way. But you know, looking back on it, like yeah, you get XSL one day. I'm sitting there and I'm making so much money. It's as good as it gets, but it's not good enough because I'm starting to lose that fire because now I just feel like I'm holding on. I'm defending my title, but what's that next step? What's that next challenge? And like. You know, you once you've achieved your goal, it's like every time I think a lot of times me and my wife talk about it, like a lot of times you could have left the job earlier. You know, it's like a lot of times you stay at a job too long than you should have. When you look back at it, right? You should have put a better plan together to be able to have left earlier to go into the next thing. But what lucked out with me is that, you know, that 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 Paul did reach out to me and it, it looked like this great, you know, that's thing in history, it looks like this seamless step of like he gets fired and then he just says he's doing a website and it's just he goes there. But no, that was a tough period and like figuring out what I should do next and what should be the next thing. So, yeah, it's never as good as it gets because it's like there's always a bigger challenge. There's always the next level of what your next decision and next move should be. Yeah. And like you talk about like trying to expand Double XL into different areas. And now we've co- even at Tidal. Do you yeah, Ryan, to- I did a street DVD, kid. I had Hot Rod on the cover with 50 Cent, man. I did a- <laughs> I did a street DVD. I interviewed Carmen, fucking Nas's baby mama on tape, man. We was doing all types of crazy shit, man. It was nuts. Yeah, man, I was like, everybody got street story. DVDs. I want to do a street DVD. <laughs> 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 Let me talk to my Jewish partners and discuss this. I want to do a street DVD, fellas. Gentlemen. Oh, man. But like, to do that, to expand on like that, you need to kind of put your trust in people. People need to put their trust in you and like, after this dot-com era, I feel like a lot of people were probably burnt and found a hesitant to jump into any new things. So how do you now and back then sell people on projects? How do I sell them on what? Projects? What do you mean? Yeah, on like new things that you're venturing into. How well, I think, I think my leadership comes from that. I Like you look at how when I went over the title, it's like I think I, it starts with me fully committing myself to whatever I'm doing. I think it comes from my, it comes from my background of... of being raised by a father who wanted to be a professional baseball player, wanted that dream to be for me. Like, very athletic, very a lot of baseball. Even before, but baseball in the 70s was still the number, was number one sport before basketball exploded. And, like, I think I take everything from a very, like, competitive sports thing of at least having pride in that uniform, right? If I join a team, I put on that uniform, 
I carry it with pride. I want to get the uniform dirty. Like, I want to give it 100%. You know, like, if, like if, it's, if it's like, okay, you know, title's a thing that isn't respected enough, right? Then I'm going to just start saying title and hashtag title and stronger sign and, like, put it in your face, like, and then back it up, you know? So I think that what I do, what I think what makes people connect to me is that I lead by example and do that effectively where I'll do a lot and put my hands dirty and you see me in the pit with you and then it's like, then I learn how to like delegate better and fall back and like set a blueprint for us to follow and like figure out your strengths and have you add. I think I touched on that a little bit in that Noah blueprint. Like I get very hands-on at first. I want to do everything myself, you know, pretty much very, very hands-on and then be able to then, you know, pull back and have others add to that vision and, and build. And I think that's always been effective for me. And I think that I have to believe in it first and people have to see how committed I am to it. And then I think that People want to believe in something, man. People want to have pride. I mean, you guys believe in the work you're doing here. It's like, you know, there's power in that. And you build a team off that, off, off, off a common goal of what we're trying to achieve, you know? I come from a baseball a baseball background, too, big time, Elliot. I was actually named – I know you're, you're a queen, so you might be a Mets fan, but I was named after Mickey Rivers – Oh yeah, yeah, of course, Yankees. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You already know. Yeah, yeah my, dad, so I, want, I, I, my I dad wanted to name you Roberto Clemente. After oh, he died yeah, in a plane yeah. crash, yeah, I would have, I'd have been Roberto Clemente Wilson. That would have been, that would have been interesting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you look like you could pull that off. There you go. Yeah. No, my mom's. Yeah. Uh, it's my mom's birthday, by the way. Uh, my mom is. Uh, oh, oh, happy birthday, Shout to your mom's. Mom. Yeah. Yeah, she's Ecuadorian and Greek, and my dad is black. So yeah, I have a little Spanish situation. So when you go up in New York, they just assume you're Puerto Rican, but I'm not Puerto Rican. <laughs> <laughs> but shout out to the Puerto Ricans out there, the, the Boricuas. Right. So Ryan. I can I can relate a lot to what you said about um you know whenever you start a new project, always being like energized to start new projects, and that you always you know want to take the lead so that you know that you're doing it the way that you intend it to be done. Uh, but do you ever feel like you? Because I find this for myself a lot. Do you ever feel like you have like overshot yourself or overstepped what your capabilities were, and that you should have? kind of spread out and allocated a bit more of it and how do you sort of find some of that balance yeah, again, I between think, I think I probably your stayed, vision stay heavy-handed a little too long should have began delegating more i think i still have a hard time with that i think i still have a situation where i think people would assume i have all these assistants and you know who's who's your social media team it's it's me it's, it's like that's me i do everything like you know i used to have i used to have some interns you know at rap radar when they would like you know, they would send me email. Like I would, if you saw, I would be like, if you see something online, you know, se- you know, send me an email about things you may find interesting. Or so I would get some input that way. But the real time stuff, you know, I have to be on. I have to be on a device to really kind of get the rhythms of. Okay, these are people I follow. I think this is going to break here. What's Khaled up to? Like that has to be myself. So I think I still struggle at times of um, entrusting people. And delegating more. I think I could still do that more effectively to answer it. I think I do a lot of wanting to do a lot myself, you know, or, or at least be involved in it. But I think that, you know, I have to, I think I'm always in a constant urge to figure out a more effective way to do that and bring people on. Because you need that too, because you need the different perspectives, especially being now I'm 49 years old. You need younger generation. You need their input. You need to know, you know, their perspective of things. Even if you don't agree with it, you know, this is the audience you're reaching. This is still our core. Hip hop is always going to be. The foundation is, is youth, young people, you know, and I feel like I'm still very, I still very, feel very youthful, but, you know, you still have to get that by having that exchange of like, I respect what you guys 
are going through what you think and what you how you look at things. And I want to try to understand it, Playboy Cardi or whatever it is, you know, NBA Youngboy. Like, <laughs> I really want to understand, you know, Youngboy, like, why he's that guy to these kids on YouTube and he's doing these numbers. Like, I want to understand right. it. Doesn't mean I have to pretend I'm a fan. Like, I've always said, like, my thing is when I really connect, I always kind of connect where as much as I love hip-hop and the purity of it, I also do respect the hit also. And I also like that magic part in an artist's career when they make that record that breaks through and then they, they reach that national attention. You know, like Drake with Best I Ever Had or Two Chains with Spend It. And the irony is that a lot of times that record doesn't end up being, it's probably not even in the set list anymore in their shows. You know what I mean? But it had to be that record. Like, you, I always tell people, like, you just haven't made that record because... You know, whatever magic there is in that record, because that making that one record that breaks through, then will make everybody look back on your catalog, especially in the streaming era, and connect to your product. They'll go back and, and download Trapavelli and understand this guy's journey and where he came from, you know? Low-key, I feel like Drake's still got to put Best I Ever Had in that set list just <laughs> every time he goes up. Yeah, yeah but I'm glad he sometimes, played. but he don't do all the verses. He probably wouldn't do all the verses. It'd be like the, oh, a yeah. medley, his medley like... set, little medley set. <laughs> Oh, definitely. He's got to do a crazy medley at this point. So I'm glad you cleared the air on like the because uh, I don't know if I've ever heard you say that before that like let's let's be real. I do all my shit myself. I don't. Well, have, no one like, believes the me. The bottom line is me. that no one believes me. No one's ever gonna believe me because it's insane. Right. So I, I well, I'm glad we yeah. I'm glad we could give you a platform to like you know, scream <laughs> from the mountaintops. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I see. I see Elliot Wilson Kate lying on the podcast. Cap, <laughs> <laughs> put little caps on top of your shit. Right. But but one thing you don't do entirely by yourself is is your new newest platform, Ooh, which okay, is in, in turn. OK, yeah. Hey, you know, you know, yeah. had to do it. No, um, but, I, but, there's is, a, but there's uh, a connection there. I mean, I think that also the, the connection there. I mean, I'll, I'll get to Danielle, of course, my wife. Um, but I think that the connection is, is that, you know, obviously the model you guys touched on it. The model came out of the pandemic. It came out of cabin fever. It came out of like, here's something I wanted to do. Never had time to get your shit together, man up and do it uh, with my wife's encouragement um, and, and everything, editorial vision, everything, just, you know, top editing me and, and pushing me. Um, but then, you know, the, part of what motivated me with the model is, like you guys say, like social media has become such an important thing in my career. And what I do to social media is give you this very well curated hip hop experience of obviously... I'm going to ram my content down your throat because I like the shit that I do and I'm going to, you know, push it like crazy. But at the same time, I'm going to give it up to my comrades. If Sway has a great interview at a breakfast club, you're going to see that in the feed. You're going to see the artists and what they share. Like you're going to get a full experience about what's going on. And, you know, the artists are impacted by that. Right. Like, you know, the artists today, even especially now, even with Instagram, probably even more than, you know, Twitter is the conversation. Instagram is really, you know, a lot of like the big statement. So. I always felt like I do so much with that, but I make, I don't know, I don't know, I never monetize it. I never made any money from it. And how do I like mobilize what I built there? Like, how do I take that audience and build a community around it? And I feel like that's what the model's done to an extent, like bringing my social feed to life uh, housed in one place. And my wife taught me about the Substack model, and I thought it was interesting. And once you, once I, once I'm like, I'm attracted to like, well, how do you get it done? Like, I'm about like, Execution, like you tell me the paradigm, that's when I get motivated. Okay, you know, when we did hardcore with me and my wife, she told me about Kickstarter. I was like, okay, this is how you do it, and you raise money this way. Like, if I buy into that, then I'm into it. Okay, I gotta get motherfuckers to give us money, 
and get us money to publish our thing. So with Substack, it was like they're making this very easy to do something that's similar to, to blogging, but has a different feel. And I was like, and then if I could find a way to combine my stories and, and things that I have and connect to that, I could I could build something unique. So the model comes out of a lot of it. I'm really trying to like pick the VIPs of my Twitter, Instagram following and how's the conversation with them and like hopefully monetize and mobilize it and like you know because I think that my new strategy is like I used to be so much about uh, in the magazine era you know to, to Ryan's thing like mass like I wanted to do the biggest numbers like I came from the underground but then when I got into the big boy leagues I wanted to sell half a million copies and you know mass 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 and now I don't think the world moves that way you know I, when we did Drake and we had 9 million people watch the interview you know that felt amazing but like that's not the reality. I don't expect nine million people to watch every interview I do. Like, I rather find that core, and those are the ones that've been riding with me, and those are the ones I can connect to. And I think the model could be a great foundation for that. You know? Right. Yeah, and it's literally perfect pandemic reading. Like, it feels so born out of the pandemic because it's so reflective. Like, you know, it's very reflective, and like, it feels a bit freeing in a way because everything it's like the stuff that comes after the dust is settled. Almost. Yeah, I mean, um, I saw yeah, some of you I said too. Like, I think that it, it, it does come out a lot more of my honesty and purity does come. I will give you your props yeah. on that. Like, I think that a lot you said like there's a lot of purity there and a lot of honesty. And I don't know if that wasn't necessarily my my initial intent, but it does come out because you know I'm not really used to putting myself so personalized out there or sharing these things. And then you have the challenge of like, okay, well, this is what happened with Eminem, you know, in 2000, whatever. But then it's like. How do I really feel about it now? Like time is the greatest thing because then it's like now I'm looking at it from a fresh perspective of like, well, why did I do that? Why? What do I like? Why was I? What did I make a mistake in this? Like, what? What were my actions that led to this? Like, look more internally about it. Like, you know, you know, and making those mistakes and and then people love that shit. They love when I can admit like I did this wrong or I didn't get Andre three thousand for an interview and it still bothers me and like. <laughs> Like, me taking the L is, like, great for everyone. They enjoy me taking the L stories. But, you know, the, the L's the L's are lessons, man. The L's are lessons. And, like, you know, um, you know, and it's, just, it's just great to see it that way. And also, it fascinates me how if, I could, if I'm able to connect the dots of something I've done in the past that related to something now and show, like, you know, I've been in this for this consistent run. And, like, I have a lot to draw from. And I, I forget some of the stuff I've done. Like, like I just did that thing with Master P. It's like... Well, I was I was really in Fort Wayne, Indiana, watching Master P play like CBA ball or some shit. Uh, you know, I had forgot I had forgot about that that I really did that. You know, like it's, it's nice to be able to like keep a lot of your stuff in one place. I found that too, and I haven't even like gotten near even close to the amount of work that you have. Yeah, and it makes me want to like my wife now. We're starting to digitize a lot of our stuff. Like you know, like the get. I remember like when we started Wikipedia pages. You know, we I had to prove to them that the shit I knew I did, I did because it doesn't live online. Like, you know, there was a magazine called Beatdown. And I know my first article was with Divine Styler in August 1992. So I literally had like the old school scanners. We bought a scanner and I had found that issue, you know, of Beatdown. I scanned it and we submitted it like we and then now that's the scan that proves I was at Beatdown in 1992. And like this is really was a real thing. So like you know, th- this stuff needs to be digitized because you know, if it doesn't, if it's not on the internet, people don't think it's real. Unfortunately, that's that's crazy. I was born six months before you penned your first piece. <laughs> <laughs> um, so time. I wanted to talk. 
<laughs> I wanted to talk about the thing that you kind of talked about, which is, um, which I think you've really been able to do. And the two most interesting things to me about the motto, which is have a little bit of the old and a little bit of the current. Um, and the, the, the old is you've really, it almost started to be like a, a an Elliot Wilson memoir of sorts where you profiled literally from the beginning of your career, um, through a certain point. And I thought that was really interesting. So I'd like you to expand on that if you could. And then also you've really, you, when the, the George Floyd protests started happening, you really were able to, to profile, um, how hip hop was specifically reacting to everything mm -hmm. that was going on in the world. And that I thought that that was really, really poignant and important. And it ties into what Ryan was saying about it being really important pandemic reading. Yeah. I mean, I just think that sometimes things don't looked at from that hip hop lens and we don't fully get our credit, uh, in the world outside and how you know these artists are active um that yeah that's just reflecting on the current times like i'm always going to lean towards the current like you know i almost i almost push myself not to get you know because i loved i love the 90s and also the, you know the, and i love the 80s right like i always got to be a pure fan in the 80s right and i always tell people like the 90s is the motown the 90s is the shit but the reason the 90s is above everything is because we in the 90s were in it really trying to like carry on tradition and like run DMC and Mob Deep loved run DMC and you know Rakim and Nas and Kane and Big Jay-Z it's like we was carrying on tradition we thought that was the most amazing shit so we wanted to make great shit you know what I mean so it just it just grows that way um so I love that stuff I could get caught in listening to 80s rap and 90s rap and get lost in that for like hours and then like oh shit I got work to do and shit to, you know like I got stuff to know what's going on so I'm always going to lean towards the current, so the pro, and I found the protest thing, you know, very interesting, and like what our world, you know, so quickly became. You know, I remember going back to um, to Yo, I was determined to finally meet him, so I met him, and I was in Atlanta, and I made him meet me for a drink at some hotel bar, and um, we had a great time. So then, fast forward a couple months ago, he had called me to get some advice on something, and I talked to him. And he's like, "Yo, man, I'm mad at you." And I'm like, "Why are you mad at me?" He's like. You told me 2020 was going to be the greatest year in hip-hop. You told me 2020 was going to be, like, the greatest year in culture. Everything was going to happen. You know, you're going to get all these albums. It's just going to, I have a feeling this is going to be, the, like, the most, like, you know, just joyous, black excellence <laughs> culture. Jay-Z album, Rihanna album, Drake album, Kendrick album, movies, everything. Like, it's just, it's going to be this, like, blissfully, like, black excellence, positive spirit shit. And it's, you know, doomsday and shit. So, uh... <laughs> Then I was like, so then I felt compelled to like, you know, cover this. I'll go walk the fucking dog and there's like a military tank outside the fucking thing. You know what I mean? It's just like, am I in America? Is there a fucking alarm telling me I got to go home and I'm fucking a grown ass man? So, you know, I had to reflect that. And then outside of that, um, the memoir stuff, it is, it is kind of also a test start for me to figure out if it is time to tell my story, whether it's autobiography whether it's a memoir, um, it's time to tell my story. I'm, almost, I'm gonna be 50 years old in January. So it's sort of also that testing ground for me to get my muscle on if I had to really approach that. It's funny, I, I reached out to, um, I should tell you guys everything. I reached out to uh, <laughs> this guy, uh, Neil, Neil, uh, Neil Martinez. He's a co-writer with uh, Rick Ross on his book and he did uh, Gucci Mane's book. Never met him. So I just kind of co-called him because I saw like he was a former XXL music editor. This is after I had left. So I'm like, he's got to know me somehow and shit. And the guy's real yeah. private and he's got like a private Twitter. He's really hard to find on, on like, you know, contact form. But I just DM'd him and I was like, yo, I'd love to pick your brain. I was like, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to tell my story. 
your books are amazing. Like you obviously know this book landscape in this current world more than me. I'd love to just pick your brain. So I got, I actually spoke to him today and I was really selling him on this idea of me doing a memoir. Cause you know, the memoir is just, you know, you, it's more like you capture a short period of your career. Like you just, and I'm, I'm, I'm opening the debate to you guys, but it's like, do you do a book where it's like, I really give you that 09 to 99. I give you like, um, post source XXL era, all the XXL, the good, bad, and the ugly, and then it ends. It ends, and then it leads to Rap Radar. You have the the movie ends with the beginning of Rap Radar and all that stuff. So, or or you know, but the but he challenged me to say it is more autobiographical because you know me. It's not. I don't want to do autobiographical because I have so much shit. It's like it's like a movie. You can't get everything in a fucking movie. Mm-hmm. But at the same time. What I'm learning from, and I've also talked to, you know, Jay about and talked to Black Thought about is that as you get older, it's like, and you know, you go through these emotions, like you trying to figure out inward who you are. It's like, you can know all the accomplishments, but who am I that I was able to do that? Where, where did that come from? Right? Why was I right. so bold to think I could take the source out? Why was I brave and like, who is that person? So you almost have to know my childhood and I hate roaches and shit and, you know, get to that. To be who the person is, like who is the yeah. like the Elliot? What built this Elliot Wilson beast to be this guy who did this shit? So yeah, that's the challenge I face. You know, that is kind of like the difference almost between autobiography and memoir, where it's like, what do you want to tell? A memoir is like, do you want to tell about something that you did and why you did it and how it happened? And an autobiographical take on it is more like, how do you want to like? Do you want to tell the story of how you became the person? that made those actions or like had those decisions and took action on them. Yeah. No, so I, I think, I think, Ryan, I think Ryan, to your point, I think that's what appeared. Cause I think that unintentionally that starts to come out in some of the models I'm doing because I'm sorting that out, you know, and it's, it's coming out and it's just like, yeah, I was wrong. Like I, I thought I, I thought I should move aggressive in this sense and this was not the right decision. And then coming to grips with that. But yeah, he said, he also sent me, let me find Let me find his message real quick. He sent me real quick. <laughs> It was motivated. He sent me a bar. He dropped a bar on me. So shout out to him. Wait, let me find this yeah. real quick. Well, I like that idea because it seems like that's the big thing that you've kind of compiled over your entire existence within the industry, which is these kind of life philosophies and kind of centering it around that and then pulling from the individual experiences that kind of support those ideas. Yeah, yeah. He said, um, what you, because what, he's like, he's like, fuck that. I already know. I know what you did. I want to know da, 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 da. Like he, he was challenging me on the phone. I was yeah, like, this right. guy's fucking bold as shit. Like, I see why he got he got Gucci <laughs> Mane and shit and Rick Ross to fucking bear their soul to him and shit. I'm like, this guy's fucking right. live. He said, what you, he said, what you did was a result of how you felt, which was a result of how you experienced your life. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So that he gets it. So it's like, I'm, I'm not there yet. Like, I got to get there. I think I can, you know, and I want to. And I think that's also part of the model. But I also want to always feel like I want to talk about how these protest shit is making me feel because I, I, I'm a grown ass man that never thought this was coming again. I told yo, we was about to have fucking black euphoria and shit, not fucking <laughs> doomsday 2020, you know? Like, so yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think, uh, Elliot, at this point we should, we should definitely start talking about, um, your interviewing for sure. Um, personally, I definitely have always wanted to ask you about some rap radar podcast, deep cuts, Specifically in the in the CBS day, the CBS I, my era. single CBS era, my era. single 
My single favorite Rap Radar podcast is one that I think, honestly, every person who listens to hip-hop podcasts should listen to, which is the DJ Esco podcast, where you oh, talk about him being locked up in Dubai and no one else talks about it. That's not on video, though, right? That was not on video, right? No, no. If you ever got any footage no, that of was, that, was our, that was our first hit. That was our first hit. Me and B-Dot was like, yeah. looked at each other like, that, that, was our first, that was the first one where... Okay, we could do this shit, like, and like, Esco was just amazing, and like, it was such a beautiful thing where I like, I I did this, um, the whole future, just connecting the future, like in that whole camp. Um, so his, so, <laughs> uh, Tony Montana, Tony Montana, right? So that comes out, um, I think on Rap Radar blog, like, B Dot wrote a post, or somebody did, like, you know, ripping it to shreds, like. This is bullshit, but listen to it. It's a hit. Like, you put it up. So, Rap Radar was just really ripping future, right? Tony Montana, blah, blah, And I remember, um, yeah, I st- I st- it started to become a guilty pleasure. I started connecting to the record, but I still didn't really get what future was and racks, you know, racks and all that he had. And then Drake jumped on the um, remix of Tony Montana. So, I was like, um, I had texted Drake, like, yeah, I texted Drake. I started to get cool with Drake at the time, and I texted him, like, yeah, I think this song's cool, man, but I don't know about, you know, this future, blah, blah, He's like, you don't know what the fuck you're... It's first time he kind of raised up on you. He's like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. This shit is dope. Like, Future's like, da, da, da. And then, like, Future, you know, started to, like, you know, blow up more and more. And then I remember I, first time I met Future was at uh, Fader Ford. And he just loves that story because I told him, like, Drake told me, like, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. Like, Future's like the... Yeah, yeah. I see him smile and it just lit up his face, so... So then what happens after that I'm telling you a whole other story So after that um, You know I, I got friendly with him He's making his records Then he has a relationship with Sierra And then he does that second album And it doesn't do that well Right And then he kind of goes into limbo And then he goes in his mixtape run He makes you know, Monster uh, Beast Mode And 56 Nights So I'm like This guy's the story In hip hop Like he's the story Like We thought he was I first thought he was a fad Then he was legit you know, I always heard the same thing, like, in Atlanta, the DJs are playing 30 minutes all future, 40 minutes all future. Like, you don't understand how good this guy is, right? And then he does the commercial thing, and it doesn't work. He breaks up with Sierra, high-profile relationship, and he hasn't done any... I noticed he hasn't done any interviews, and he's, and he's the hottest guy in the streets. He does all these mixtapes, and I pitched to Sylvia Rohn, because he was still signed to Epic. Sylvia Rohn's a great friend to me and my wife. Um, I want to do this documentary on future. So we did this called Like I Never Left. And, you know, throughout that, I got cool with Esco and really rolling with them and built that great rapport. And I was very proud of that documentary. My wife was involved with it also. So that's how I kind of built a good rapport with Esco. And he had told me a little of that story during the taping of that documentary. But what he gave at Rap Radar, the way he gave it up that time was just like, me and B-Dot was just like, yo, we got to get out the way. And then it also was even more of an enforcement of what... You know, I, I appreciate how you guys have respect for that CBS era because I feel like a lot of it does get lost because we we couldn't really do video in the beginning. And then we had this small ass room. We really was doing like video with like one camera facing a person. Like, so there wasn't really like the video era yet with podcasting. So um, some of it gets lost. But, you know, the biggest thing I always take from those CBS years, too, was that in the beginning, format wise, I was determined to be like. This, this is me, me and B Dot, and we're gonna like break down the hip hop news and what's going on in culture, and that'll be like the first twenty minutes, you know, because I say like, I love format, I love a paradigm, right? So I was mm-hmm. like, we're gonna talk twenty minutes to half hour, 
breaking down hip hop news and blah, 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 blah. And then we're going to go to our big interview segment and then we're going to close it out. And then the feedback we got from Jump was like, this shit is cool, guys, but we love when you guys get to the fucking interview. Get to the interview. <laughs> so then now to this day, it's Elliot Wilson. Hey, B. Dot, what's up, baby? Blah, blah, blah. So and so here. Like, so we deaded that, you know, like from that jump. And it's like, that maybe that's our lane. Maybe our lane is that we're here to get the best interview out of whatever subject it is, you know. And like, there's so many, you know, I'm, I'm humbled by how, you know, for this era and even the title era, so many of our interviews just come up, you know. And like, I've never seen a brand really have that, you know, no shots on some real competitive old school shit. But I've never really seen, <laughs> you know, a brand have that many multiple interviews that I think still kind of resonate and like. People organically share on social. I mean, the Jay-Z's and all that, and Nipsey, Nipsey Hustles, and, you know, it goes on and on. But Esco was that first one that was like, okay, we can do this, like, you know. Yeah. And I think, like, that speaks to what makes you great as an interviewer, is, like, you don't just speak about the music. You understand that people want to know the person behind the music. And that kind of speaks to your evolution from when the 90s, people didn't really care too much. But now, if you adapt it to nowadays, people caring about the person as well as the music. But, like, how do you as an interviewer not lean into, like, too TMZ territory where you're going too much into the celebrity of it mm. or, like, kind of sticking to the well, music? Well, I think it's about giving people respect. Like, even, like, uh, like I yeah. interviewed Saweetie for the title check-in, the new thing I'm doing. So, you know, you're interviewing Saweetie and, like, I'm starting to, understand, you know, I'm starting to, like, connect to her music more. And I understand, you know, it's a pretty girl... She's fighting to be taken seriously, that she's about her craft, and she, you know, she's getting better as an artist. And I like that uh, Pretty Girl Freestyle she had did besides the, uh, the tap-in song. But, you know, you interview her, and, like, of course I have to ask her about Quavo. That's her boyfriend. He's in the fucking Migos. But it's like, you know, you have to do that with respect, though. Like, I saw somewhere she had said her favorite song was the song she had featuring Quavo. So I posted more, like, with her work. Like, is Quavo going to make your album? Like, is he going to be on your album? And then, like, you know, her talking about the challenges she faces as a creative and being taken seriously. And it's the same thing with Future. When Migos came out with Versace, 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 we didn't know Migos and Quavo was like this. I, like, I, I was like, nobody knew your boyfriend was like this smart, you know, driven cultural leader and like was going to be this person. And Migos were going to be that. We just thought it was Versace, Versace, Versace. And it's like, you know, they, we all face those same challenges. But I think that that's how I have to look at it from like, that human aspect of it. Like, you know, people are talented creatives that are, you know, first thing in hip hop is that you're trying to gain respect. You know, you want to be respected for your art and what your, what your point of view is and trying to break through. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you transitioned into title check-ins because we definitely wanted to talk about that, that other finesse. And you know, I had to ask about the Cardi one for sure. (laughs) And specifically the thing that I noticed about that, which is she kind (laughs) of, No. <laughs> I had like I had like your grandma's like uh, lamps and shit. Yeah. We were like staying in, <laughs> not even. We were staying at That's this like rental the, like uh... in Martha's Vineyard and like uh she doing she's on West Coast time. I was back east and it's like nine o'clock the sun's fucking dark ass Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and like, you know, I'm trying to get some type of light and shit and I look like a fucking red tomato and shit and like and then she embarrasses me and I'm this I'm blushing, yeah, but that lighting was horrific, man. I- I think right. that's part of what people well, enjoy so much about the check-ins, though, is they're very, yeah. like, organic. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's almost pandemic exactly... pandemic aesthetic, bro. Yeah, it's almost exactly like what we're doing <laughs> like right now. It's like speaking to my mom on Skype. Yeah. People it's are literally just Wayne, It's all fucking Wayne's world and shit, man. It's all, all yeah, at-home yeah. content. Yeah, man. 
But, well, you were so red because she hit you with the oop with the, the, <laughs> the what her favorite bar was. But I, I think I noticed before you really were asking for it, you slipped in, like, a little question that was kind of, like, indicating, like, let's see no, if I want, we can get I her to talk her to, about Yeah, it. I wanted her to go. But she, and then she, she was went, like, went, like, oh, that's the thing yeah, I she was that's like, that's why I was astounded. It's like, yeah, I, oh, yeah. I threw up the lob, but the way she dunked the shit viciously, oh, yeah. like, I drew the lob up. I, I didn't, I knew yeah. it was coming. I set the play, but she, like, she 63 year old, yeah. 63 uh, yard fucking field goal. She nailed that shit. Like, it's like, I know. She was like, I if was you, like, hey, if you want to talk about like, this, about, you want to talk about this, let's fucking talk about it. She hit you with the, <laughs> the, uh, that Cardi Shaquille O'Neal shit. <laughs> but I, but I talk about it with the wife though. Like I feel like I do that. I, that's another thing I've, I've gotten good at. And I, I, I tell my wife, I give my wife 90% and I give Nicki Minaj 10% of interviewing women, <laughs> talking to women, right? Like it's hard. It's hard. It's a challenge as a man, especially as a 49 year old man to interview a young, attractive hip hop woman. Right. And like do it respectfully, do it about her art, like talk to her, like, you know, do, just do it the right way, man. Do it like, you know, I think a lot of times, like, and not do, and not do it with that boys' club angle. Like, you got bars? Do you belong in hip hop? You know, let's yeah. test you. What you know about hip hop? Like, you know, that type of shit. And yeah. like, and also just add, like people don't ask women about their work. People don't take women's artistry seriously. That's why Nicki rams it down on you. It's like, like, why am I not when you were talking Drake, Cole, Kendrick in that conversation? Because even if you don't like my content, look at my hits. I wrote all the shit, like, you're not, so people don't really give women that respect about their work and talk about that and have enough sensitivity of how to ask and interview women, so, but my wife says, like, you know, in this relationship, and we, and again, I don't always do it perfect either, that's the whole point, as a man, you're not going to always do it perfect, but I have a sincerity that I want to, I want to try to get it right, and at the end of the day, it's like, I have a wife that I talk about work with all the time, I talk about her work with her all the time, so... That energy comes across, and then you know, interviewing Nikki in front of like all her crazy ass barbs and shit, and what a strong personality <laughs> she is. It's like that's like a championship round of like talking to women. So you know, now I'm starting to build a good rapport with Cardi. Like I had a really good interview with Meg. That's kind of the last interview I did outdoors. I mean, uh, uh, in front of a large group of people, the crown. So I like that. I think that that's a whole other lane of like me interviewing women about their creativity and their work ethic and what they're trying to accomplish, you know, across all fields. I feel like that doesn't get done enough either, you know, and it's, it's not a novelty, it's our reality, man. We have a lot of young, a, a wider palette now of female artists in hip-hop, and I think it's going to move more in that direction even more, so it's just something to, to take note of. Yeah. Not to go all over the place, but yeah, the title check, you know, I feel like it went from... It went from like like with the, here's the Snoop the Snoop Dogg shit like I'm in the I'm in the back room and it's just like holy shit like we're locked in the house like I I'm used to running out and going out and interview yeah. motherfuckers and hopping on a plane wherever you're at you're in Atlanta City girls I'm in Atlanta you're in this one in L A like I'm gonna go get the story I was taught go get the story like don't wait for yeah. them to come to you Will Smith you're in fucking um where the fuck was Will Smith you remember where Will Smith was uh I would say like the Some, Netherlands somewhere in Europe yeah somewhere yeah. in fucking Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Go there. He's gonna be there for a month. He can't leave. The guy can't leave. Yeah. He's shooting a movie. He can't yeah. leave. Go get him. Let's go. Um, Why not? But so that was just at first, like get on IG. D nice is on IG versus like talk to people. Get on IG. But you know, I didn't even have the best Wi Fi. Like the shit would be fucking conking out at the end. Like you know, mm-hmm. like it, it's just sloppy production. Like so then I, I I toned it down. I stopped doing it. But I was like, you know, I gotta find a way to do this. So then we just started doing it again. 
when the Raekwon album came up, the anniversary, and it had such a you know connection to Raekwon in that album, it's like I got to do I got to do interview Raekwon the right way. So we turned title check into more like let's not do it live on IG, let's do it on Zoom or whatever. Have it edited well, get better design for it, like presented well. So I'm enjoying this new ramped up 2.0 version of it that we're doing. Uh, we did Cardi B, we did. Um, I just did Corday, I did Hit Boy, you know, I got a couple more lined up like, like next week and stuff, so it's coming together good, and I feel like I finally, like, I, so now it's like the fourth thing I've done now, like another brand I've done for Tidal, and like, you know, it's starting to have its own identity, and I'm proud of that, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, I think, you know, one of the things that we all admire about your career is sort of just how much growth there has been, you know, how many transitions that you've been through, and constantly through these reinventions, like, have been on the very front of sort of the wave in like how journalism is changing. Um, and previously on our podcast, we read an article about Little Richard in Rolling Stone. And we pulled this quote from it. That's a quote from Little Richard that like I have just been thinking about a lot, um, you know, as a young journalist coming up and trying to find, you know, like my place in the industry. It's a quote I've been thinking about a lot. So the quote is... I came from a family where my people didn't like rhythm and blues. Bing Crosby, Pennies from Heaven, Ella Fitzgerald was all I heard. And I knew there was something that could be louder than that, but didn't know where to find it. And I found it was me. So do you think that you've had an it was me moment like that? Um, I think it's just the power of hip hop. And I think so much of my story is is this connection to the culture, right? And like... And looking at it from just that human level, that it's like someone like Nas, like we were born around the same year. It's like, so we, we were in this thing and we're committed to this thing. And even though I'm not an artist, I've been with it. And then the realization that, you know, it, it's, I'm older than it. You know what I mean? Like it's literally been this part of my whole existence. And I just think that our, it's our culture, man. It's, it still comes down to it. And not the cliche of just selling culture. I just think it's just who we are. And I think that that culture transcends and I think it's the most important thing I'm all I'm all about like how we are dominant now like I'm about how dominant we are in these charts like I love it like I, you know I almost lament that there's not enough great rock music like I want like I want more diversity on the other side like I like to see more you yeah. know because we love we I love Steely Dan and Hall and Oates and we love all these groups too it's like I wear the great rock bands like I think that that's the yeah. challenge more so but I think no I just all, I think it all speaks to our culture like I think that the power and innovation of us as people, you know? And I feel a part of that. I feel like a major contributor to that. And I've shown that you don't have to be an artist to be that. You know, I think that there's a lot of important voices. <laughs> the power of what Joe Budden's done outside of his music career speaks, <laughs> speaks to that, yeah. you know? Cool. Yeah, I, I, I wrote a piece recently about uh, rappers as journalists. I was wondering what you thought about that kind of movement that's happening that's all circled around Budden, too. I mean, some, it's like any field. Sometimes people get it right. Sometimes they get it wrong. I mean, I res- but I respect Nori. I respect Joe yeah. Budden. I mean, Joe <laughs> Budden's it's it's amazing. And like and and, and you know, Nor- the thing with just those two guys, for example, like you know, Nori's just such a passionate, hardworking, driven dude. Like we, we thought when he first came in the game, like he was the guy getting thrown out the clubs, and he was just such a hothead, like young dude. Like you didn't think career artist. You didn't think this guy was a businessman. And like to see his evolution, like. And also, he's just, you know, it's always going to be that side of things where there's that challenge of, like, the, the, the play-by-play guy and the color commentator. The color commentator is supposed to be the guy that played the game. He played the game. So, artists are going to talk to Nori. The conversation Nas is going to have with Nori is going to be different than the conversation he has with me because they're that same cloth and that same brethren. So, 
that's what you get with him. It's like he is he's the lovable color commentator, and like there's not he little Wayne loves Nori. Like it's a wider range of things. Where Bud's strength he's shown isn't really even interviewing people. It's about his opinion and what he has to say and how his mind works. His twisted, crazy, incredible mind and how he looks at things and the power of how he was able to build a team around him and you know how Rory's grown in Mall and Parks and that whole chemistry that team has built. You know, I have respect for all of them. I'm always like, you know, hitting them up and if there's a funny quote they said or something, I'll text that person and say that shit was ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. So I think they get it right. I think that what the challenge has always been to me, the biggest thing too, is commitment. Because yeah, if somebody wants to do, if the biggest star wants to do a radio show for six weeks, that person's going to slay the fucking whole landscape. But are they going to keep doing it? You know, I think with Nori and, and Budden, you see a dedication to keep doing it, keep doing it, keep delivering. So if you keep delivering with the work ethic, I have to tip my hat to you. Facts. Yeah. So, Elliot, um, the, the final part of our interview is what we're trying to establish now as or we are establishing now positive statements uh, are our signature questions. Um, so I just you sent, uh, you sent to me these. Little... But I, you sent me these, but I forgot what you sent, so I never even prepared myself. So this is good. It's no, it's be no worries. <laughs> on the cuff, my love. No worries. Yeah, Honestly, off the dome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So in in a thing that we've kind of talked about specifically, um, which is like the the <clears throat> new version of how we kind of interact, and it's less more competitive and more about like personal opinion. So we're not into labeling anything best and worst, which is an essential uh, part of Central Sauce's intention in journalism. To us, the inherent definition of sauce, who's got it and why, is subjective depending on your own personal standards. And then this is our three-question ending sequence called Who Besides You Got the Sauce? All right, so this is, I'm going to do the first one, and then Ryan and Brandon will go. So the first question is, Who's got the most sauce in the music industry from any sector and why? Artist, media, label, manager, playlister, whoever. The most sauce in the... Artist? Any, anyone in the industry who, who is like... <laughs> so the sauce like power to make things happen? Well, that's the thing is like it's really what sauce man. means to you, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got. I mean, the fight is fixed. I, I gotta go with Hove. The fight is fixed. I'll go with Hove. Oh, done. You have to say that. To <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to. Yeah. I mean, I'm not cool. With, like, I'm, I'm, if I was cooler with Puffy, I could say Puff. I guess, but yeah, you know, I'm cooler. With, I'm cooler with. I only have one closest Sean in my life, the, the H-A-W-M one, not the E-A-N. <laughs> Word. Well, what, what do you think it is specifically about Hove when you think of sauce as a term that, that really connects? Um, just what, again, it's versatile. Like, I think that how he's, you know, whether you like some of the moves or not, like the social justice and different things he's trying to do outside of just the music. And, I mean, obviously, yeah. the catalog is, is untouchable and, like, to show that growth. And just, it, it's cool now to be, like, you know, and even back then, like, it wasn't, him and Beyonce came out. It wasn't. It wasn't cool to have like the girl, the outward girlfriend, and like all these different things. It just helping us mature in this culture, you know, and, and growing this, you know, and that we have a lot to still contribute and and make a difference in this world, man. That there. I mean, not to get too deep into it, but a lot of these, you know, lawyer fees and a lot of these issues and people's, you know, getting the proper representation. Rock Nation is providing a lot of that, you know. So we have to respect that. At least I respect that part of it. So you know, I, I think that he's. I think his intention is always to, to make a difference in this world. And I think it's outside of the music. So, I, you know, but I, but I also, you know, we'll, we'll have our disagreements and he'll do things that I don't like. And we'll talk about that in private. But 
I don't think he's perfect, but I do think that we've seen this growth that that's amazing, you know, and I think it's it's unprecedented in hip hop. Sounds sauced up to me, man. <laughs> All right, but you know question. somebody else cool I shot about like this in old music industry uh, uh, Chris Atlas I think he's a really mm. solid dude that works at uh, Warner Brothers and like yeah just like just like in this, you know people really down record companies and every record company's evil and blah blah but like that's a dude that's very talented very dope uh, makes things happen and um, mm. you know like there are good guys in this business like it's obviously there's yeah. many knuckleheads that work at record labels but I think he recently got a promotion too, but yeah, Chris Ellis and I go back from the Tommy Boy days and me getting like a De La Soul cover, Stakes is High, uh, De La Soul cover for CMJ, and you know he's always done so- been solid with me, helped me get my Wale crown, Rick Ross crown, like he's just a good, good solid dude. So th- you know, also I think we should shed light to a lot of like there's still a lot of good people that are in this music business, and a lot of artists still need record labels to really magnify their message and magnify their voice. I mean. You know, independence is cool and great, but I think that some people also need that side of it and have machine and that push. And I think someone like Chris Atlas uh, makes things happen. No, that's important. That's really important. Uh, Second question, whose level of source do you admire most in your life outside of music and journalism? Entirely, yeah. I feel like I have to to answer things in like two different ways. (laughs) That's cool. You can I mean, why don't we even talk about the wife? I think, I think the, the sappy thing is to say my wife, Danielle Smith. Um, yeah, just, you know, she's my ultimate partner and all the shit. And, like, you know, uh, I mean, how do I, what's the exact tone of the question again? Go back, I'm sorry. Who um, I admire as a so fellow whose who's level of source do you admire most in your life outside of music and journalism? Oh, yeah, I, love, I admire her level of source because I just think she's a, she's a better writer than me and a better editor than me, and don't tell her that, but... Yeah, <laughs> and, um, I assume yeah, she's going to hear that. Yeah, and she, and she taught me a lot, and she teaches me a lot to this day, and, that, and just to have that. So I think that, and I, and I think that she's, you know, she's, she has a lot of amazing plans uh, coming soon, and I think that you guys should look out for it. <laughs> Great. Who is your second, if not her, outside of music entirely? Of people with most sauce out of music entirely. Most sauce out of music. Who are like responsible? Yeah, just in your life, you know what I mean. Oh, what do you think? Yeah. Uh. Remember my, my brother Steven? My brother Steven. He's he's getting he's a ga- he's a gaming dude. He's into that gaming craziness that you that these youth kids are in. So he's a little gaming mastermind. So I think he's he's about to come with something really great too. Yeah. Tight, tight, Brandon. All right, so you have brought the sauce to this episode of the podcast. Who do you think is another journalist that can bring sauce to the podcast? Well, the wife, the wife, I'd say when it's time. Uh, let's think of some more. The wife. Uh, you mean more like print, like right, like print journalism? Just any any Steve, journalist. Man. I mean, oh, particularly uh, we kind of want to Danielle, Daytuan Thomas. Jermaine yeah. Hall. That's actually who I was thinking of from that article. Actually, it was day yeah. one. I really all these other you know we were the crazy Harris guys, man. Like uh, we was in the back office, man, and like that King XXL black media print era. I feel like that doesn't get talked about a lot. Like we were really, mm. you know, Maxim was a monster, but King was competing heavy. You know, like we was we was battling. I was battling Rolling Stone. Like it wasn't just a hip hop thing. We're battling like the all the really mainstream thing that 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 last the last real run of like people consuming and buying print. So I think getting yeah. those perspectives is unique. So I'd probably say well, my wife, Daytuan, and Jermaine Hall. Word. Well, Daytuan and Jermaine, if you're listening to this, uh, 
pull up. We're we're ready to talk to you. I'll help you get sure. them. I'll help you get them if you want me to. I'll tell them. I'll tell yeah. them. You, I'll tell them you're good guys. Yeah, I'll vouch for you guys. Yeah. I'll vouch for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I think Ryan got one yeah, more question. Is. Ryan got one more question. Ryan, what you got? One more question. What you got? Oh, um, one more question. One question to end. I don't have one that wraps up in a neat little bow. Like, um, oh, that's too much pressure. I got Okay, so I, with you just, having on. just talked about the transition between, like, print and digital media, um, obviously things, especially with layoffs and all the things due to the pandemic, it doesn't look really promising for, you know, just print media in general. Um, but as someone who has grown up, like, wanting to be a writer, like, wanting to be in magazines, like, my entire life, like the idea of not being able to hold like a copy of my cover story like in my hands is a super like sad feeling. So I guess is there anything optimistic you can tell me about uh, the future of print journalism? Well, I think I think that what you said. I think we should we should. I think that that's one of my plans too. Like I think that there has to be room for it. I think the the model of like that monthly magazine thing that's out the window. But I think there's times where people should be able to. We should create cool like quarterly. Bi-monthly, like we should, we should create things again. I think it's not about mass per se. I think it's about, you know, creating something culturally cool and and for for a select group. Even if you print up five thousand copies, it kind of is like that inverse of going back to the ego trip days of like, let's do that. Like that story deserves to be laid out and looked at a certain way. So let's create a magazine. Let's get investment. Let's print five thousand copies. Like I think that brands should look to do that. I think brands should use that as an extension. I think that should be creative ideas that a lot of brands can do as, as part of, you know, showing that. Cause I think that there is a smaller demographic that it's like, it's almost like with music, like there's music, there's mu- the music fans that want to know, they want to hear the Beatles outtakes and they want to know how the song was made. And like, that's a deeper fan, you know? And I think that it speaks to that and that's always going to exist. So I think that we have to have both things going on. I think we have to digitize all the great shit we have and rip our print apart and digitize the shit and and fucking you know have an extra copy that we can still store and i think that we have to find creative ways to bring print back or keep print going you know i think people have money to do it i think brands have it i think that it's just going to take someone committed with creative vision to make that a reality you know yeah it's kind of what frank ocean did with uh the blonde yeah shit like that exactly absolutely i think that was dope yeah i think that that's that's kind of the way, you know. I love I love to see Tyler do that. I love to see imagine Tyler doing something like that, have the funding to do something like that quarterly, you know? A great mind like that. I know Pharrell's dabbed into that. Like obviously a lot of people have done it, but let's build brands that maybe just that or have brands that do have money fund a sub brand that does that, you know? So Brandon can get that feeling so I can get that feeling. Yeah, cuz there's nothing like seeing that cover like hanging somewhere. You know, that's the other thing too. Artists yeah. miss that too. We the writers, boohoo, we cry. We miss our bylines, blah, 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 holding our shit. But these artists, man, they, they miss that feeling of like little baby. That's why, you know, they get the covers now in the mainstream things and it still means something to them because, you know, seeing a little baby on the cover of this, it's like, that still gives you that chill. Ooh, my book down. My Bible. You go trip. Um, that feeling of seeing your face on a magazine cover yeah. is, is still special, you know, to any artist. And if they tell you it isn't, they're lying to you. It still means something, you know? Thank you guys, man. I, I only cut oh, it short because you know we could do like fucking thank you, man. seven hours and shit. But I wanted to keep it. I know. I wanted to keep it fresh, and maybe people want more. Maybe we'll do a part two sometime soon, and like that'd be amazing, man. Hey, sounds good, man. We'll have to we'll have to interview your homies, and then and then bring you back around <laughs> and talk about <laughs> talk about those guys lying about everything. <laughs> right. All right, fellas. Word, you guys man. enjoy the holiday, hey. man.
Thank you, guys. You too. Yes, thank, thank you for your time. time. Thank really you, appreciate it. Peace. This episode of Insert of Source featured Mickey Hellerback, Brandon Hill, and Ryan Gore, the Central Source Creative Collective, and Mr. Elliot Wilson. The episode was edited by me, Charlie Taylor, the Fifth End Podcast Network. Music for the show is Foxed Up by Barsty. Place to draw up records for the ability to use. This has been a Central Source and Fifth End Podcast Network production. Links for Barsty, Chill Records, Central Source, and the Fifth Element can all be found in the full show notes below. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time as we continue our search for Source.